Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The Old Testament includes various commands that most Bible teachers would say are not applicable to Christians. For example, Leviticus 19.19 says, Do not plant your field with two different kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven from two different kinds of thread. Now, most Christians would say that those commands do not apply to New Testament believers. However, the same chapter of Leviticus also says, do not steal and do not deceive or cheat one another and do not defraud or rob your neighbor. And Christians certainly believe that those teachings do apply to us. And there's many other examples that we could cite here. That's just one example. But how do Christians determine whether an Old Testament passage is applicable to us today or whether it was only enforced for people that were living under the Old Testament law? Let me begin by saying the whole Bible is given for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says all the things that happen in the Old Testament are examples for us. So every teaching in the Bible, including the teachings you mentioned in the Old Testament have relevance, have significance. They are the word of God. They have meaning for us. At the same time, we recognize that we're not living under the old covenant, which we find in the Old Testament, but we're living under the new covenant, which was instituted by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're directly accountable for the teachings of the new covenant. Now, to answer your question, uh, we, we see what the New Testament itself says. For example, in Matthew 22, also in Mark 12, and there's a parallel passage in Luke as well, Jesus was asked, what, what is the greatest commandment of all? And of course, that was given when there was no written New Testament. The only Bible was the Old Testament. So in a way, they're asking your question. And according to traditional uh, Jewish uh, teaching, the Old Testament had 613 commands to obey. Jesus said the first commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your fellow human. He said "On the, these two commandments summarize all the law and the prophets. So everything in the Old Testament can be summarized with those two statements. You, you also find um, the Apostle Paul writing essentially the same thing in Romans 13, when he lists a number of Old Testament commands, and then he summarizes it, it's all summarized in the law of love. James also talks about everything is covered by the royal law of love. So I think in a broad sense, we can say we're under the new covenant, not the old covenant. So things that were specifically given to the people of the old covenant, namely the nation of Israel, while they're instructive for us, we're, they're not directly commanded to us. But anything that's covered by loving God and loving people, or we might say the moral law, then that is part of God's plan for humans. And so that would be true under any covenant. Uh, so us, uh, so the, the kind of things you're talking about that would not apply, we might use the term the ceremonial law. Or the New Testament speaks about 
a shadow, types and shadows. So a type is something that has, it's, it's a real thing, a real place, person, event, practice in the Old Testament that had a, a significance for the New Testament. So it has a teaching far beyond uh, the, the circumstances of that time. Uh, so we also see this in Colossians chapter 2. These things were shadows, but the body is Christ. Here's the illustration. Let, let's say you're sitting at the corner of a building and you see somebody's walking around the corner. You haven't seen them yet, but they're casting their shadow ahead of So you look at them and say, is that a man or a woman looking at the shadow? Is that an adult or a child? And then suddenly the person rounds the corner and you see them. Well, you don't have to keep looking at the shadow to see who they are. You look straight at the body and you say, well, here's the person. I know who they are. So some of these thing, teachings of the Old Testament are shadows that point toward greater truth. Now we have the greater truth of the New Testament. We no longer need to follow the shadows. Galatians 3 says the law was a schoolmaster, a tutor to bring us to Christ. But now that we have Christ, we don't still need the, the schoolmaster. So, so in other words, there are some teachings of the Old Testament that were preparing the way for Jesus and pointing to Jesus, but have been fulfilled in Jesus. So now that we have the reality, we don't need the shadow. Uh, we don't, now that we have the fulfillment, we don't need the type. So what are we talking about? A classic example would be the animal sacrifices. When people sinned or violated the law, uh, they were supposed to offer an animal sacrifice. Well, the New Testament explains that Jesus Christ has become our supreme sacrifice, the one sacrifice for all sin forever. So we don't offer animal sacrifices because they're fulfilled in Christ. Some of the laws you mentioned of separating the types of grain and also distinguishing between clean and unclean animals. The New Testament indicates that these things were teaching us the principle of separation. In other words, the ancient Israelites, God was trying to show them in your clothes, in your farming practices, in your diet, in your daily life, in the days of the week, the day that you set aside. All that was designed to teach there's a difference between what is holy and what is not holy. And so in all of your life, don't just do whatever you want to do, but first ask, what is God's will? Some things God wants us to do something God doesn't want us to do. So it's like a child, like a tutor teaching children. You got to learn to ask the question, is this the will of God or not? Is this holy or not? Is this God's plan or not? Is this my identification as a child of God or not? So once that lesson is learned, now we come to the New Testament and God shows us it applies to his moral commands. So we're no longer obligated to the dietary laws of the Old Testament or the Sabbath laws of the Old Testament, although we should have a principle of a day of rest and also a principle of assembling for worship weekly, at least. Uh, but all those detailed laws have been fulfilled by the reality. So go back to your root question, how do we know the difference? Well, here's some questions to ask. Is this related to loving God and loving people? Is this related to God's moral law? If so, it will always be true. Before the law of Moses, during the law of Moses, after the law of Moses. Uh, another way to look at it is, is this a ceremony or a type that's been fulfilled in Christ and in the church? If so, what is the fulfillment? We, we have to see a fulfillment that's greater than the type. So the animal sacrifice is, yes, the cross. 
That's, that's an easy one. But you have to see there must be a fulfillment that we do still follow that's greater than the type. A third point might be, what was God's plan for the human race before sin? In, in the book of Genesis, that would seem to carry over whether it's the old covenant or the new covenant. Jesus, for example, in, in Matthew 19, they, the people asked them, well, uh, what are the grounds for divorce? He says, wait a minute, you shouldn't be asking that question because in the beginning, God didn't really plan for divorce. And so they were saying, well, why, why did the law of Moses, the old covenant allow it? He says, because of the hardness of your hearts, because of sin. He was trying to regulate evil. Men were putting away their wives, so he's at least trying to give some regulation of what's proper and improper and protect the rights of the woman. Uh, but in the beginning, God didn't intend for you to ever have to get that far. He intended for the marriage to work. So in the beginning, he created one man, one woman. They were committed, joined together for life. That's God's plan. So if you want to know what's God's plan, that's what it is. But later, because of sin, uh, God's plan wasn't completely fulfilled, and so God gave some lesser commands. But if you really want to know the truth, go back to the beginning. Uh, and, and so that, that same principle can apply. I'll, I'll give you a very practical example. Deuteronomy 22.5 talks about a man should not wear a woman's clothes, a woman should not wear a man's clothes, and, and those who violate this, it's an abomination unto God. So a lot of people say, oh, that's just an Old Testament command. Uh, you could pick and choose other commands in the same chapter, the same book that we obviously don't follow, so so we're not obligated. Of course, as you pointed out, well, we can pick other commands in that same chapter and book that we definitely absolutely follow. So how do you know? Well, here's a good example. Is it related to loving God, loving people, and God's moral law? Well, the very terms, if you violate this, it's an abomination unto God, which means something God detests. So that, that indicates it's not as he, for the dietary laws, he would say, now don't eat pork, that shall be an abomination to you. You shall despise this. But when he says don't cross the genders because God despises that, well, that indicates it's moral law. So that would be one test. Second test, well, does this go back to God's original plan? Well, go back to Genesis 1. God created male and female. Absolutely. And then here under the law, make sure there's a distinction in dress. Another question, well, is it still under the new covenant? Well, actually, yes. The new covenant does talk about sexual morality, distinction between male and female against same-sex relationships, and even uh, effeminate dress. Uh, effeminate behavior in 1 Corinthians 6, but then very specifically in 1 Corinthians 11, distinction between male and female in the outward appearance in the form of hair. And of course, 1 Timothy 2, the woman wearing modest clothing, which indicates a, a feminine form of clothing is appropriate. So actually the New Testament does reiterate the teaching in very basic form. Uh, and then finally you ask, well, could this be a type or a shadow? If so, what does it point to? Uh, what is the greater truth? What is the abiding truth that we still follow? So distinction between male and female, if that's abolished, what's it replaced by? And the fact is it's not replaced by anything. It's the abiding truth. So I've just given you four examples. Um, does it involve loving God, loving people? Does it involve God's moral law? If so, it remains. Um, do, is it a creation principle? If so, it remains. Is it reiterated in the New Testament? If so, it remains. Um, is it a type that's fulfilled by something greater? 
If so, what is that something greater? Um, if there's nothing greater, then that's a good indication it remains. So those are four practical, um, I guess, questions you could ask to know um, is what is stated here in the Old Testament something that's specifically God's will. So obviously, when God told Noah to build an ark, he's not telling us to build an ark. So yes, of course, there are historical commands that are specific to a person or to a time. But also, many of those teachings, you can tell by the four questions I've asked or the four guidelines I've given that have abiding uh, relevance for the church today. And in general, we should assume the whole Bible is, is uh, teaching us And certainly what we find in the New Testament is directly to the church today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.